I'm on Facebook and I scroll through my timeline, I'm on Instagram, I scroll through my timeline and I stop on something that gets my attention, it gets me to engage and it gets me wanting to go there. So you want to find out how you can get customers to engage. If you can get customers to engage, you can get them to stop. And if they stop and engage, they're going to come to your restaurant more often. Welcome to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods, the nation's first podcast devoted to the business and lifestyle of the hospitality industry. Now, here's your host, Woolco Foods CEO, Stephen Toberoff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. I am your host, Stephen Toberoff. And today, I'm very much looking forward to the conversation that I'm going to have with my guests because there's so much going on right now in the hospitality space on so many levels. And I think the insight and experience of my guest is going to be extremely informative and helpful. So without further ado, let me introduce Matt Plapp, who is the founder and CEO of America's Best Restaurants. Matt, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. So, Matt, I know that you're involved with a lot of different things for restaurants and the restaurant space. So maybe if you wouldn't mind, just give us a little background about yourself, how you got in the hospitality space, and what you're doing currently right now with America's Best Restaurants. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. So I guess I started in the hospitality world on kind of accident back in 1999, right out of college. I sold radio advertising. And the unique aspect of how it happened was a lot of my peers were focused on the big boys, the car dealers. And all these companies that were spending, you know, the casinos 10, 15, 20 grand a month on radio, I looked at the opportunity was more volume on the number of clients. And so I went after a lot of restaurants and I saw that a lot of restaurants had the ability to do trade and cash. And so I became known pretty quickly as the trade king. And I had probably 30 or 40 restaurants in the Cincinnati area that they didn't have the money to buy radio like the car dealers. So I'd say, hey, we're going to buy these key nights that you need to drive traffic and we're going to run radio advertising and we're going to do cash and trade. And so quickly established myself a lot of restaurants and then flash forward to 2008 when I started my own marketing firm, we focused on small businesses, helping them do higher level cutting edge marketing. And some of our first clients were restaurants like a brand called Quaker Steak and Lube. We had three of those, a brand out of Munich, Germany called Hofbrauhaus. House. We had four Hofbrauhaus House in the States. And from that point up to 2015, we worked with a lot of businesses, but I really enjoyed the restaurant side because my expertise has always been customer data, is that if you have people that are already giving you money or that look like the people giving you money, you might as well find out who they are, name, phone number, email, birthday, all that good stuff. And when I looked at the people we were dealing with, we had a car dealership that had 45 car locations and we did well for him, but people buy a car every three or four years. And so it was harder to use the data when I looked at my restaurants, people are drinking a beer at Hopper House twice a week sometimes. And so it's like, okay, how do I get that twice a week to buy an appetizer, to buy a dessert, to maybe come to dinner with their wife, come to a business lunch? And so that led me to realize how important data was for restaurants. And here we are six years later. At that time, we started the restaurant world back in 2015. We had just four part-time employees and one full-time employee. Now we have 38 employees as of yesterday, full and part-time. Our brand's America's Best Restaurants. And our tagline is we help consumers find restaurants they want to eat at every week, kind of like Norm and Cheers, which you'll know. But some of my younger employees think I'm crazy when I say that because they have no clue what it is. <laughs> but and the other side of it is helping restaurants identify frequent customers because frequent customers are what keep the lights on. It's not the person that comes every six months. It's that person that makes your place their Thursday lunch stop. Well, you were really ahead of the curve, Matt, because one of the big trends that was getting a lot of mention over the past couple of years was the utilization of data for the exact purposes that you've described. And I'm sure you've been keeping up on that as well. My first question that I would sort of ask is, obviously, so much has changed with respect to the tools that are available for all businesses to utilize in a marketing uh, effort. And that's especially the case for restaurants. I'm wondering what your thoughts are in terms of what are some of the best tools out there right now? We began the interview, you'd mentioned radio. I would think just based on my limited view of marketing in general, that social media, podcasts, YouTube, they've all been game changers, but I would love your thoughts on that as to what the most efficacious tools right now are for the restaurants. Yeah. So number one, what I recommend for all businesses is have a tool that allows you to capture customer data. 
wherever you market. Because I think the biggest problem in the restaurant business, any marketing really, but restaurant specifically, because repeat visits are a lot easier in the restaurant world, like we talked about, versus I bought two vacuums today for our office. Probably not going to buy vacuums for 10 years. So that data is more important to the restaurant. So whatever you're doing, have an easy, simple way to get their data. Your website, for example, when I go to Wilco Foods, there's a thing on there, first name, last name, email. Ask for it. Give people a reason to give it to you. They're interested. They want to know what's going on. Get the information. But when you look at how to collect that data, there's five places that we've identified that are the key places and they're in order of importance. Number one is inside your restaurant. Studies that we've done on thousands of campaigns, you know, hundreds, thousands of restaurants, 85 to 90% of the people that walk into a restaurant's place of business and give you money are not on a marketing list of any kind. And that's scary to think about. Down the street from me, for example, there's a restaurant called Mai Tai. It's a Thai restaurant I really like. I guarantee there ain't a person in that building. They don't even have an email or text list. So the whole adage of hope and pray, we've all heard hope and pray marketing. Well, that's the definition of it. You hope that Matt Platt remembers to come eat at your place. You pray he comes back more often. Well, you can dictate that a little more often when you have my name, my phone number, my gender, my email, my birthday. Now you can communicate on your terms. But in-store is key. And you've got to have people in your staff that are excited about it. I went to Panera Bread recently, and this was a six months ago, I guess, back during the pandemic. And no lie, the lady literally looked at me and said, you don't want to give me your email, do you? Like, wow, okay. I guess that's a heck of a sales pitch. And <laughs> now, granted, that was a not a, a normal instance at most Paneras because I've had different occurrences. They say, hey, you want to join my Panera today at a coffee club? But you've got to have a training and staff, just like you have training in the house for how your food is washed, how it's stored, how it's prepped, how somebody pays for food, how they go down your line, how they get service at a table, how they get table touch. There needs to be something in place that when they're in your restaurant, hey, Matt, was your burrito awesome today? Yeah, actually, it was pretty damn good. You want a free one your next visit? Yeah, okay, do me a favor. Scan this code. You're going to go to a form on our website. You're going to fill out three questions, and we're going to send you one for your next visit. Nine out of 10 customers aren't turning that down. And I'll have restaurants go, oh, I can't give away a free burrito. Yeah, you can. Because if you can get Matt to come back 10 more times this year than I would have at 20 bucks a pop, I think you can give away a $2 burrito to get $200 in sales this year from that one person. So that would be the biggest aspect. And then kind of waterfalling down from there would be your current data. Every restaurant has data. Whether you have a Gmail account that you've used for generic inquiries the last 10 years, or whether you have a point of sale that gets data like Square or Toast, whether you have a online ordering app, whether you have an app, a loyalty program, take that data, get it one place, a CSV file, a spreadsheet, a Google Sheet, and then figure out a way to market to those people to get more data. You might have 500 people's emails. Get those 500 people's cell phone numbers. Maybe only 400 to give you a cell phone number, but ask for it. If you don't ask for it, you don't get it. I've got two kids, 19 and 17. They ask for everything. And they get most of it because they ask enough. They keep going over and I'm like, how do I shut them up? I get them a Jeep. And it's the same thing with the consumers and with restaurants. The third place would be on your website. Nowadays, people are visiting websites more and more because of online menus and going there to look at stuff. Are they open? What are their restrictions? Are they dining? They carry out, they pick up, and they delivery. When somebody comes to your website, have a very intrusive way to find out who they are. A pop-up that comes up, it says, hey, give us your information and here's why. And then next would be online listings, Google My Business, Yelp, TripAdvisor. Send those people someplace that has a form like I just talked about to get information. And last but not least, I say is the easiest, but it's the least effective from the percentage of customers that'll walk in. And that's social media, Facebook and Instagram. We have a restaurant, I'm looking at their dashboard right now in Idaho, started with us two days ago. All we have done is turned on Facebook and Instagram ads for five locations, We've had 1,790 people give us their phone number and email. 1,300 of those people, 1,383 gave us a birthday. And more importantly, 249 people walked in the restaurant and spent $5,700 on a $200 ad spend for five locations in two days. That's 10.5% redemption rate, which is ludicrous. But if we had in-store marketing running when we will get eventually going, that 10.4% is all Facebook and Instagram you'll get 20% of the people back from inside your restaurant that opt in for next visit. So basically, when you go top to bottom, you know, we talked about in-store, 
current data, your website, your online listings, your social media, you're going to be at a top of like 30 to 40% redemption rate on a promotion from somebody that gives you their data in the restaurant. And it's going to go all the way down to the social media where you're going to get 10 to 15% because it's easy to opt into something on Facebook versus when you're in the restaurant, you've already taken that effort. I think that is such a terrific breakdown and analysis of the opportunities that are available for people. And I could not agree with you more. I enjoy the subject of marketing and I've read a number of books on it. And the single most important attribute you can accumulate, according to Donald Miller, is an email list. And we certainly do everything we can to get that. And I think at this moment in time, Matt, it's probably a great time for restaurants to do a rethink and a refresh. So for example, I did a podcast episode a few episodes ago. I don't remember how many. And one of the subjects that I was exploring was, I think now is probably the best time that we've seen maybe ever, but certainly in the past several years, for the independents to narrow the gap between themselves and the chains if they properly utilize a mobile app. I'm wondering what your thoughts on that. And just to flesh that out very briefly, what I'm talking about, obviously during the pandemic, the utilization of takeout and pickup was far more common. People were using it. On my phone, I've got a Chipotle app, Starbucks, et cetera. I never used those before. I doubt I'll ever go into either of those establishments again without ordering the items beforehand because it's so convenient. Independent restaurants, if they utilize an app that has within it rewards points, ways to convey information, et cetera, et cetera, it really narrows the gap. And I'm wondering what your thoughts on that. And if you agree with me or if you disagree in terms of independence now having more information that they can utilize to compete on a higher level against chains where appropriate. So I'm going to scare you really bad right now. You know why? Please do. Can you hear this? Yes. That is a bag of Chipotle chips that we just ordered on their app. And my assistant Austin went down and picked up and brought back. Well, I mean, you know, I just, there are Mexican restaurants in my town that I prefer far more than Chipotle. Oh, yeah. But because of the convenience and because of just habit and because of one of my kids, we go there. But there's nothing stopping these other places that have superior cuisine. And if they can incentivize me to get their food from pickup, I might go there. And then they have alcoholic beverages, et cetera, et cetera. So I would just love to know your thoughts about, about that, that, that sort of macro concept of competing at a higher level and the utilization of apps or other tools that you think can help do that. We'll get into that. I think it's funny. I'm sitting here literally just ate Chipotle order from their app. And there's actually only one restaurant app on my phone. It's Chipotle. And I eat out literally lunch every day of the week, dinner every day of the week. Last night I grilled ribs. It's the first time I've cooked at home in probably three weeks. So I use a lot of customers, a lot of restaurants. Here's the difference. And I'll equate it to something. I also own a gym. And when we have people that join our gym, that let's say they're 250 pounds and they should be 150 pounds. One of the last things we recommend to them is to get on a nutritional plan right away. They need to start moving. They need to start working out because if you start working out, you start seeing momentum, then you maybe tweak your nutrition a little. And then within two or three years, you've got the nutrition rocking, you got your mental game rocking, you got your fitness working. Well, I tell you that story because I look at restaurants in the same manner. The restaurants you're talking about getting a mobile app, aren't doing anything else right. They aren't collecting email. They aren't getting cell phone numbers. They aren't getting customer frequency. They aren't consistently communicating correctly. Whenever they do communicate via email or text, it's always about them. Hey, come to my restaurant, eat this, buy this, come here. It's never about the customer. We just did a huge email campaign for a client, email and text. It was a Mother's Day promotion. It never mentioned eating at the restaurant. It said, go to Facebook, share a memory of you and your mom in the comments on this post. We're going to give one of you a $100 gift card to do whatever you want on Mother's Day. It was a Visa gift card. And so I look at apps. Apps do have a lot of ability. I'll say this. It's equivalent to, like I mentioned, with the nutrition and exercise. Like you can eat great, but you got to build muscle. You can build muscle, but you got to eat great. You got to do both things. I think a lot of restaurants aren't doing the lower things right right now. If you look at a cell phone, like I got five bars right now on my cell phone. Well, if I don't have bar one and two, I never get to bar four and five. So when you talk about the app, you know who uses apps? You know why I use Chipotle's app? I'm a frequent customer. And so the people that download and take advantage of apps are your early adopters of your brand, are your hardcore customers. The person that's never been to Chipotle, like one of my employees just left, went back to Chicago. He was down here. He has never eaten at Chick-fil-A. 
we drove by one day. He was like, I've never eaten that. I'm like, how have you never eaten a Chick-fil-A? He's like, I don't know. Well, if he saw an ad on Facebook to download the Chick-fil-A app, the odds of him downloading the app are zero. He's never been there. Why is he going to download it? People just don't do that. But if it was my daughter who eats a Chick-fil-A like nine times a week, she has the app. And so what I recommend to businesses, I agree with you that apps have a huge place in the marketplace with ordering food. It made it easy. I order not through the app, but I order through Toast. One of our clients, uh, our friends of mine company down the street called Better Blend Nutrition has a uh, smoothie shop. Three times a week, I go to his website, betterblendnutrition.com. I click the order online. It goes to Toast. I order my shake. I click submit. My credit card is stored. I pick it up seven minutes later on the way home and I'm done. I've not stood in their lobby for more than 30 seconds because I walk in, they know the guy with orange shirt is the guy that has the orange dream stick on the game. I shake and I leave. And I think there's opportunities, but I wouldn't order that way from Better Blend if I had never been there. Understood. Yeah. So what you've got to do is you've got to indoctrinate. You've got to build that database and segment it with your frequent customers, your lost and your new. Okay. What strategy do I have to get my new and lost customers to become frequent customers? And what strategy do I have to get my frequent customers to download my app or order online? That's where I think that bridge needs to happen. I think that's a great point and um, makes a lot of sense. So let me ask another question because I I have so many thoughts on this. I'm really going to take advantage of having the opportunity to pick your brain. And although I own Woolco Foods and we sell hotels, restaurants, caterers, hospitality industries, bakeries, bars, et cetera, et cetera, with a big concentration in New York and New Jersey, but outside of it, but we have a listening audience that goes beyond this. But I want to ask a question or two that really is centered around the New York City, New Jersey market, if you will. One of the trends that I think is really important, and again, this is something that's manifested itself to a much larger degree over the past year than it did before, which is customers that are going to get the food and pick it up, actually. So you have the third-party delivery apps, and we can get into it, but I think everybody understands some of the financial challenges that goes along with that, in addition to other challenges such as who owns the data. In a place like New York, which is a walking city, and people want to get out of their apartments, I believe one of the untapped opportunities to market and build customer loyalty is through getting customers to pick up. And in that exchange, it might create an opportunity to get the information you've described or build that loyalty. I'm wondering what your thoughts are based upon how people's behaviors have changed during the pandemic. If there are other ways to engage with customers, we've talked about social media, I'm mentioning takeout. What are the ways that customers can seek to engage with people who may come back other than the dining in? customer, which is obviously the most obvious and the most fruitful. But restaurants, as you know, are part of a community and they sponsor little league teams and all of that. How can they get their message out in some of the other ways and leverage their brick and mortar location to do that? So I agree with you. And what you said there, in essence, is kind of what we just talked about is that get somebody to come in your restaurant. If I have a great experience, I come in and I have, there was a brand you had on your podcast early on that was, uh, if I remember, it was a cookies. It was a cookie shop of some sort. So like, at least that's why I kind of took from the some of this yep, stuff. And, the big cookie company. Yeah, there it is. There it is. Like, I go in there. I have an awesome big cookie, which I'm envisioning a cookie size in my head. But I'm, I have an awesome big cookie. And it makes me really go, man, this was good. And that person sees a smile on my face, sees chocolate and goes on my lip and goes, hey, <laughs> like you're enjoying that cookie, bro. You need our app. You need to have that conversation starter. And so that's where it all comes down to. And it's kind of like marriage. My wife, I've been, we've been together 26 years now, I think married 22 and a half, something like that. It all started with, I saw her at a sports facility in college. Then we talked at study hall. Then we went on a date. Then I got her number. And the next thing you know, we have kids and we have babies. Well, to me, an app for a consumer to a restaurant is kind of like getting engaged. Well, you don't get engaged until you've, you've talked and dated. and Ordering from that app, becoming a frequent customer is, in my mind, is really relevant. You got to have grassroots tactics in place, like in New York, in New Jersey. I've been to, been to Hoboken. I've been to Jersey City. I've been to all over New York. I've been to Brooklyn and Manhattan. Those are a lot different than where I'm sitting right now at my office in Florence, Kentucky. I'm not walking anywhere here. <laughs> I mean, yep. I'm going to get in my car that's parked in front of my place and turn left at the stoplight and go down and go to the gym or go to Chipotle by turning right. I'm not walking anywhere, so it's a little different. I think those people walking by, you've got to have, number one, things that get attention. Number two, easy ways for people to introduce themselves to you. So like I was at Orlando, Florida, 
we were going to a little ice cream shop to meet some people, clients, and we walked by a burger fi location. I don't know if you're a burger fi is up where you're at or not, but the burger fi location, and they had this display of this amazing burger. I mean, it's one of the best burgers I've ever seen on a picture. And there was no way I wasn't eating there the next time I was around. It literally stopped me in my tracks. I looked at it. I went to their website to look at this burger because it was like, oh my gosh, that looks amazing. Now, granted, it had peppers. I love peppers. But you've got to have things that, you know, in, in Facebook, you want to stop the scroll. And in person in New York, you want to stop the stroll. They're walking by your door. Why are they stopping to look at your windows? Have you changed out the graphics every week? Are you doing different stuff? Is there a giant QR code on your window that says, scan me for a free item? Everybody is so scared of the restaurant business of giving away something free. Oh, it degrades the brand. I can't afford it. I think it's the complete opposite. You're trying to introduce people to your brand by not giving them a chance to work with you you're degrading your brand. And then from a standpoint of not affording it, I always look at it from a, you know, hey, you can't afford not to. You know, Papa John's, I don't know if you've ever had their little cookie pizzas they have. It's pretty basic, it's mass produced, but it actually tastes pretty darn good. Well, about four years ago, they sent out a promotion. My daughter liked Papa John's. I'm not, you know, I'm in between on it. Just to me, it's a normal pizza, nothing spectacular, but she loves it. So whenever she's home from college, we go to Papa John's, you know, unfortunately. Sorry, Papa John's, if you're listening. But about four years ago, they sent out a marketing message for a free cookie, pizza cookie. And so we got our pizza. We got the free cookie. Guess what we order every time we get Papa John's now? Freaking $5 cookie. Now, last time we had two of them. So it was $9 more entered. Well, if they would have never introduced us to that product, we never would have tried it because I wouldn't have they know what a pizza cookie was back then. I think for the New York market, your idea of the QSR code and that being something that I think almost any type of restaurant could benefit from because it's like you said, I think a lot of people have different ideas about their brands and, and there's different sort of concepts out there that that may lend themselves to one strategy or another. But I completely agree with you there. Let me ask you this, Matt. One of the things that I identified, and I was listening to what you were talking about before, which is making the marketing or the communication about the customer or your prospective customer. Uh, this is something I've, I've read in other books as well, where a mistake is Businesses always want to talk about themselves and what makes them unique in their mind, et cetera. But people like to hear about themselves. Everyone's interested in themselves. So this pandemic, in my mind, brought to the forefront how much people love restaurants, dining out, socializing, how elemental it is in people's lives. What would you suggest? Let's talk about Instagram, social media, or any other form of communication you want. Let's talk about the way you want to use those platforms, not for the immediate hit necessarily of accumulating email addresses or giving away promotions, but just communicating your brand or creating that connection with somebody who's looking to determine where they might go or where they might go next week. How do you suggest people utilize those tools or other tools to begin the process of communicating what you're about in a way that the end user will feel interested in and engage with? Love the question. Love it. So the number one way you can get that is by them. Look on Instagram, look up the hashtags, your check-ins for your restaurant. I can promise you, especially markets like New York, there's hundreds of people a week posting a picture of their food or the reason they're eating your food. I saw a post the other day, a friend of mine posted, she's like, hey, I haven't seen these girls in forever. And she had a selfie with four of them at a table and some margaritas and checked in at the restaurant. She didn't say a thing about the food, but she was there for that memory. She was there to connect with people she hadn't seen in a year. That's why people are at your restaurant. So instead of always talking about you, I I always say this to people. I've been married, like I said, been together 26 years with my wife now. If I went home every night and it was like, oh, Christy, man, closed five deals today. We helped 20 clients do better. Went to the gym, got my best bench ever. I looked in the mirror. I looked good. If it was all about me, you think she'd still be with me? You think she'd be listening? Well, that's the same with restaurants. The reason your Facebook newsfeed, like if you look at your stats on your Facebook account and you see that every week your visibility of your post goes down and down and down, The reason it goes down and down and down is because your engagement goes down and down and down. The reason your engagement keeps going down is you're having a one-way conversation. You're talking at your customers instead of with them. And so what I would say to answer your question in a very long-winded way is I would look on there and go, okay, 
what are our customers all about? What's our avatar? Who is our person? Draw up a picture on a wall. This is Shelly. She's 42. She lives in the Bronx. She has two kids. She's married. She makes 40 grand a year. She drives a white Chevy Topaz, whatever. She likes food, guac, her girlfriend. She went to high school here. She went to college here, whatever it is. And have a conversation with them, but always look at it from like four different angles. Number one, you want to talk about them 25% of the time. Like that picture of her, her and her girlfriends at lunch at your restaurant. Share that. Hey, Sheila, thanks for checking in. Looks like y'all had a blast. Hey, ladies out there, tell us what your favorite reason is to visit Taco Lulu. This is a restaurant we just signed up yesterday, so it's top of mind. Ask a question. Next thing you know, you got 40 women tagging their girlfriends. Oh my gosh, I love your margaritas. We come there every Friday. Boom, boom, boom. When you do that, now they engage and they're not engaging to eat like for a question about eating your food or drinking your margaritas. They're engaging on why they come to your restaurant. And guess what happens? When you engage in stuff like that, you go, that sounds good. Like literally today, I was on a podcast this morning, another company this morning, we we're talking about examples. I said, there's a Mexican restaurant up the street that's my favorite place. I go there all the time. I go there every Friday with my wife. Well, I realized my wife is in Mexico today. And I'm like, crap, I got to convince my son to go to our Mexican restaurant. Just me thinking about the Mexican restaurant wants me going there. If I'm on Facebook and I scroll through my timeline, I'm on Instagram, I scroll through my timeline, and I stop on something that gets my attention, it gets me to engage. And it gets me wanting to go there. So you want to find out how you can get customers to engage. If you can get customers to engage you can get them to stop. And if they stop and engage, they're going to come to your restaurant more often. We did a promotion, actually did a couple hundred of these, but one of the restaurants that sticks out is a place called Sweet Taters. It's in Concord, North Carolina. They didn't need Mother's Day business. They were already full. So two weeks before Mother's Day, we did an email and a text campaign telling customers to go to Facebook and share a memory with you and your mom in the post on this Facebook comment. And it was a, pay, a graphic that said, share your memory, chance to win a, you know, it was like a hundred dollar gift card or something. And a couple hundred women went on there and shared two, three, four sentences in the picture of their mom. Had nothing to do with the restaurant, but it got people to engage. When people engage, Facebook shows it to other people. Instagram shows it to other people. Then they look and they stop and they go, man, that sounds good. And they go to lunch. So long story short, you've got to engage with people. It's gotta be a two way street. And it can't always be about you and your food and your specials. So let me ask you this, Matt. Let's say that you've trained your staff appropriately and they're all on point in terms of accumulating email addresses and other ways of contacting customers. Now, most people in this market, and I would imagine it's elsewhere, if they go somewhere and they have a spectacular experience, they're going to remember it. Hopefully, they'll share it uh, with other people. They'll recommend it. So now we're at the point Let's say we've done a great job accumulating email addresses. What are some of the communications that you recommend people send out once you have these email addresses? Is it about, hey, we're having a office party game night on Thursdays? Is it promoting certain special items? How do we use these emails effectively once we've begun to accumulate them? So break your communication down into four quadrants. There's two elements here. I'll say real fast. Ideally, you want to collect your emails with more data. Every single piece, like we work with restaurants and we collect data for them. The number one thing we ask before anything else, have you been to the restaurant before? And if so, how often do you come? When they answer that question, it tells me they're a new customer, a frequent customer, or a lost customer. They say, I haven't been in a few months. We lost them. So you need to have a marketing campaign. If you can build your list like that, I would build it like that because it allows you to have a different conversation. A new customer is less interested in XYZ than a frequent customer. A frequent customer might just need a poke. Hey, bro, can't wait to see you this week. A lost customer might need to be bribed. Why did they go away? Why did they quit coming? It might have been the pandemic the past year. It might have been you had bad management for a while. It might be that the food went downhill because you, you weren't working with great people like you. you know, so you got to find out who they are, number one. But then number two, outside of that, Look at the conversation. So let's say you don't have your data separated because most restaurants don't. And let's say you have an email list of a couple thousand people. If you're going to email them every week, try and segment the, what you're talking about because separate. You know you got 50% men, 50% women. Maybe every other week, the email is focused to maybe catch the attention or eye of a woman or a man. It's got different colors. It's got different headlines. It's got different things. So that way you're going to focus on who you're going to get. 
But if you also look at it from a standpoint of you're going to send four messages a month in most cases, one message a month should be 100% about the customer. Every month, there's an event. May, there's Mother's Day. June, there's Father's Day. July, there's July 4th. August, it comes into Labor Day. September, you start getting into back to school football. October, you got Halloween. November, you got on and on. There's, there is an event, what I call an event, happening every month in this country. Talk about that. Don't talk about you. All you need to do is have them open your email. The studies show that if you have a product that people know, like, and trust, they're on your email list, they've already enjoyed your food, they like you, they trust you, all they've got to do is see your name more often and engage your name, and they'll eat more food. And so if you can get them to open your emails more often, well, you'll win. So first week of the month, highlight an event coming up. Hey, Mother's Day is this month. Go to Facebook, comment on our post, a memory of you and your mom. We want to hear it. Happy Mother's Day. We love all you. It has nothing to do with the restaurant. Second week of the month, it's another special. Hey, hope you all enjoyed Mother's Day last week. We enjoyed it. We're ready to take care of everybody this week. Here come in Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, dinner, buy one, get one freeze, or free mimosas, whatever. The third week, turn the attention to something that's going to get everybody's attention. Hey, here's a jar of candy. We did this with a place called Black Rock a couple weeks ago. 6,600 people, one location restaurant in Grand Rapids, Michigan, 6,600 people commented on a Facebook post to guess how many pieces of candy were in a freaking beer cup, a beer stein. We sent an email out and said, in a text message, sent it out to them and said, hey, we're giving away a $25 gift card. It's simple. Click this link. Tell us how many mints are in the candy jar. It was a branded cup. It was on the bar. It was meant to just to get people to take an action. The numbers don't lie. 2,500 people got the email and the text. 6,600 or so people commented. And so we got people to engage because what happens on social media, the more people engage, the more people Facebook looks at and says, hey, these 300 people commented right away. Let's go find 5,000 just like them that live within three miles of this restaurant. That's what their algorithm does. And then the fourth one is highlight your menu or something about yourself. Promote you know, the different nights you've got coming up. Hey, by the way, next month, the month of June, we got three big things happening. We got trivia night. We got kids night. And we got our new menu rolling out with these mimosas, this fish tacos, and these new crab cakes. So if you do that and you talk to your customers four times a month, one time is a promotion. It's a call to action. It's strong. It's got a limited shelf life. And it's, it's ideally day parts or food that need help. So dessert, appetizers, early week dinners, some lunch times. Then you hit a contest, which gets everybody involved. Then you hit an event that might identify with that audience, Mother's Day, Father's Day, 4th of July. And then the last one is you highlight what's happening in your restaurant. If you do that and you look at 52 weeks and say, hey, 52 weeks, 13 weeks I did a promotion, 13 weeks I talked to my customers about something that's important to them, like mom and Mother's Day and Father's Day and our July 4th and our freedom and Labor Day for the people uh, you know, in the service. And then you look at it and go, you know, 13 emails a year went out about menu items. We talked about what's happening in the restaurant. And then 13 times a year, we did a different contest. Who's going to win the big game? How many pieces of candy are in this candy? One of our clients did Brussels sprouts, a giant jar. How many Brussels sprouts? He's a healthy dining concept. One of our clients did a pizza box. It was loaded with pepperoni. It looked like a billion of them. How many pieces of pepperoni in the box? It gets everybody to get involved. And then at the end of the year, you've had 13 times you've told them about what you're doing in the restaurant. If you do that, you just eliminated what I call puking on your customer. What most restaurants do is 52 times a year, they send an email with their handout. Hey, Matt, in essence, here's how you can give me money, whether you want to or not. And that's why people's email rates, I see this all the time. I spoke for Constant Contact for 10 years, the email company. I used to travel and speak in the Cincinnati region. And what we would look at when people would get brand new, they'd get an account in January. They'd get a 30% open rate, their first email. February, they get 28. March, they get 26. Within two years, they're at 8% open rate. Why? Because every month they're sending crap emails to their list that they don't care about. You know, one of the things that I really think is very helpful is it's called, for lack of a better word, or perhaps it's the perfect word or perfect phrase, content marketing. And there's been yep. a number of things that have occurred over the past 12 months that are very beneficial for restaurants as well as very beneficial for consumers. The one that's at the top of my mind right now is the law was passed last year that allows 
businesses to claim full tax deductibility on meals that they purchase in a business context that satisfy the the requirements to deduct those meals are fully deductible. How much do you think that restaurant marketing should be content marketing, which is, does it make sense in your view as a strategy for your restaurant or your establishment to be a source of information so that people are coming to you because they want to know what the latest trend is or the latest changes in any aspect of hospitality? Do you think that's a good strategy? And if so, how would you utilize it? So are you talking about when you say content, when you talk in the context of the tax, are you saying things that are out there informative? Yes, I'm saying things that are out there informative, but that are related to the industry. So for example, in New York, it seems like there's laws that change every week, whether it's that you cannot have plastic straws anymore, or there's changes to the tax code. Or right now there's a debate in the city council as to whether or not they're going to make the alcoholic beverages to go permanent. So content marketing, but it has to be tethered to your core business. But what are your thoughts about using that as a strategy so that people, like I know that there are certain websites you mentioned owning a gym. I'm into exercise and working out as well. I go to bodybuilding.com often, and I would say I haven't purchased anything from them in six months, but they just have tons of articles there and it increases the possibility that I might purchase. So that's kind of where I was going with it. Yeah. So I think it comes down to your avatar. You've got to to figure out who your customer is. When we had Hofbrauhaus, House, this was kind of the opposite you're talking about. Hofbrauhaus House out of Munich, we worked with their Columbus, Ohio one, they're Pittsburgh and Newport, Kentucky, and in Cleveland. And probably the first six months I was looking at Pittsburgh. What's important to somebody in Pittsburgh? The Pittsburgh Steelers, the Penguins, the Pirates, Duquesne, Carnegie Mellon. What's important to Cincinnati, the Reds, the Bengals, UC Xavier. And we built out a content strategy to talk about what's happening in the local sports because we looked at it the same way as I was talking about. We can't always talk about food or beer. But you know what happened? It backfired on us. I found out with like Hofbrauhaus Pittsburgh, the people that go to that place and drink beer and eat German food and do the chicken dance on top of the benches when the music's playing, do not care about anything else. It was comical. We had the NFL draft from a local radio station come down to Hofbrauhaus. We marketed the heck out of it. We had Ryan Clark, who at the time was a starting strong safety for them. We had their kicker and we had two of their hosts. They came down, hosted the NFL draft party, going over the first round draft. I get a call from the GM and said, Matt, we got a problem. Like what? They just threw a fork at Ryan Clark. They want them off the stage. They want their music and beer. They don't care. And it was kind of comical because one thing we had noticed the past six months before that was none of our digital marketing was working when we talked about things that were not beer, which was to me against my rules. Our rules were, hey, 25% of our content is about the customer, 25% about this, but we've always done that. This one client, it went completely against that. If I put a picture of beer up and said, yum, 500 people commented, liked, and shared. If I put up a picture of the Steelers and said, the Steelers just signed the number one player in the world for $1 and he's going to have the best stats ever, nobody commented. And so I think it's important to, to A-B test. Like, yes, you're what you're saying in most cases, yeah, you're in New York. You got the Jets, the Giants. You got the Mets, the Yankees. You've got local initiatives, you've got schools, you've got school districts. There's things that are going to really resonate with those customers. Like where I live in Northern Kentucky, high school football, you got Connor, Cooper, Ryle, Cupcat. Highlight those things, but all at the same time, watch the stats because you'll real quickly figure out if people really want to talk about that or they want to talk about your beer or your food. I really like what you just said there because I'm a big believer in sort of gathering data and measuring it. So that's absolutely true. But as you were speaking, I was thinking of something else, which is whether it comes to marketing, menu creation, staffing, I think that the most important element in any restaurant and and maybe any business is authenticity, by which I mean people can sense if you're trying to be something that you're not. Whereas if you are truly authentic in who you are, and are honest in expressing it, and you don't do things that are contrary to what you believe in or contrary to what you truly feel is consistent with your brand, you're going to win. So that being the case, do you find as someone who works with restaurants across the board that each time you almost have to cater or create rather, curate a special marketing strategy? Obviously, there's some universals, measuring your data, seeing if things are moving in the direction you want, et cetera. That's sort of an evaluation process. 
But in terms of determining what strategies to employ, do you find you have to curate it on a restaurant-by-restaurant basis, or can it be done genre-by-genre, region-by-region? How does that work? I think you can start with some assumptions that I know, for example, we work with a lot of franchises. We also work with probably 50% franchises, 50% independent restaurants. And I can tell you for a fact, like, hey, this is the person who eats at this franchise. But I can also take that franchise and put it in a completely different part of the country, and it's a different audience. And the same with independence is you got to look at your audience. And there's some great exercises out there. But if you go online, you can look up customer avatar. And I always tell clients, start with three. Write out who you think your three people are. And the great part about Facebook and Instagram and Google is you can look. You can go on Facebook. A lot of people don't know this. If you're a Facebook page admin, you can go to your page insights and you can click the people tab and it'll show you the people following your brand, male or female, this age, they live in these parts of your town. So what I would recommend is I would recommend starting with some generics and then kind of looking at that data and filling the gaps in. And then I would recommend creating three avatars. Here's what our average guy looks like. Here's what our average female customer looks like. And then here's just an average customer in general. And then start when you're writing a Facebook post, talk to that person and then start watching. If your content's not, you'll be able to see what gets engagement, what doesn't. And you can start tweaking your avatar because you can start generic. And as you start generic, you can get more and more dialed in. I remember WLW is a radio station in Cincinnati. And back in the day, a guy named Daryl Parks was the program director for like 25 years. He had a cardboard cutout on his wall. And the rule was every single on-air personality, before they went on air, they walked in, they looked at that cardboard person. It had like 30 different things listed. And it was like six foot two dude. And it said, our average listener, the person you talk to every day is a 45-year-old white guy. He makes this much money. He's married. He has kids. He drives this type of car. Here's everything about him, good, bad, and ugly. If you talk to that person every day, you'll find the people that resonate more with them and it'll kind of help you mushroom out to the right people. Well, your social media content is no different. Create three different avatars, give them a name and start doing it. And then once you fine tune that, you see what content works, you can start tweaking it. And a big thing there also is tell your employees who this person is. It's a huge training. We always tell our clients, your employees need to know who your customers are and they need to know what resonates with them because you might be Working like in, I don't know where you're at, but well, I do know where you're at. I mean, you got people, certain neighborhoods that are Yankees fans and certain neighborhoods that are Mets fans. Where I'm at here in Cincinnati, you got certain places that are Xavier and UC. You don't walk in with a Xavier shirt on at a UC bar. And so it's no different. You got to know what to talk about on your online marketing. And like what you said is you can start generic, but you have the ability to really narrow it down as you see what people react to. Something I'm just curious about for my own satisfaction, and you have a great deal of experience dealing with restaurants and others in the hospitality space worldwide. What is the number one most important attribute of a restaurant that gets somebody to come back? Is it the cuisine? Is it the service? Is it the ambiance? You get where I'm going with this, Matt? Because one of the things I've emphasized so often on this podcast is, of course, the quality of your food and your cocktails is essential. But people will forgive a bad experience in those areas if they get absolutely phenomenal service. If they get absolutely horrible service, they won't. But there's more to service than that. So I would love to know your thoughts because I think, again, this podcast is for people that are in the space or aspire to be in the space and want to grow and have a successful business. So it's important to understand every aspect because especially in New York, People are super focused on the cuisine or the cocktails, which is phenomenal. And I'm not saying to take any focus off of that, but you have to have equal attention elsewhere. So that's kind of a long way of asking it. I apologize. But what do you think the number one attribute is that gets people to come back? Oh, and I I love this. I think the number one attribute is why people go back to restaurants. I have the proof of it. They know that you give a crap that they're there. So what I mean by that is that there is, and all of those things you talked about, customer service, cleanliness, the type of restaurant, the food quality, everything leads into it. But back when the pandemic hit, we're sitting in June in our office and we had a lot of clients doing awesome. We had some doing terrible, some doing average. And I talked to Tom, my team, I said, Tom, I want you to look at this segment of customers in this segment. Why are these guys doing better than this? He came back and said, Matt, we found three things that led to the reason. Like the one restaurant, Fatty's, was up 18% of May, May of last year. 
to put in perspective, they're about a 20-seat casual dining mom-and-pop barbecue joint. They had no carryout, no delivery, no drive-through. They were almost 100% walk-in, buy your food, sit down, eat it. May, they had none of that except for they made a drive-through and they had carryout. They were 18%. Now, there's a couple of factors that led to that, but the major factor outside of all the marketing elements was that we found that people really related to Brian and his team, that you walked in the restaurant, they knew your first name, they knew what you're going to order, they smiled, they were happy you were there. The restaurants that we looked at that didn't do that great were the, the guy that owns eight locations. And he's an attorney and it's a numbers game for him. And when COVID hit, it was like, how can we pinch every penny? How can we survive and still make a bunch of profit? And the people that walk in, the customer and employees don't know their names, don't know how they do, you know, how they order their food. And so what we found was that it wasn't necessarily the food. It wasn't necessarily the drinks. It was a combination of that customer service and just the personality of the restaurant. And I had a won't tell you the whole long story, but about five years ago, I'm at a client of ours. They have 110 locations or a franchise. They have a couple of franchises. And I walked in and I said, I want to show you something. This is pretty wild. And this tells this exact story. He's like, what? I said, well, we got five of your locations that we work with. Three of them, I know the owners pretty well. Two of them are rock stars. You walk in their restaurant, they know your name. Their employees know your name. They are what a restaurant's about, in my opinion. One of them, the lady kind of does that, but she's mean, man. She's just not very nice. And then the other two, I don't know who they are, but I said, we spent a thousand bucks on your guys' behalf across all five. We got the exact same reach, 10,000 people for our 50,000 people for a thousand bucks. That's pretty simple. We didn't look at the engagements. The engagements went down when it got down to these two, I don't know. And it went down when it went to this lady, but these other two were killing it. And everything went down. The engagements, the people who joined the VIP program, the people who spent money in the restaurant. I said, can I make a guess? He goes, yeah, what? I go, this guy right here, or the owner of this one is a guy that's an attorney. The person that owns this one is a back of the house person. He looks at me, sends a text message. The CEO of the brand walks in. I had never met him at this point. Walks in. He's like, Matt, Ray, nice to meet you. So what's going on? He goes, tell me what you just told Peter. I told him again. He goes, do you know these people? I go, no, I've never met them. Why? He goes, that guy's an attorney. He actually is an attorney. He owns three restaurants. And you're right. He, that, that you walk in the restaurants, there is no personality. You're a number. And the other one, he's like, that guy was a GM of a Chipotle. He was a back-end guy. He's scared of the front end. He doesn't walk outside the kitchen, but his food's impeccable. His restaurant's spotless. And he goes, like, how did you know that? I said, well, I can look at the social media engagement. People engage with brands they know, like, and trust, and they love. If I scroll through these two locations, I see them on Facebook or Instagram, and I don't share, comment, or like the post. It's because I do not have a connection with them or anybody in the restaurant. These other three, I did. And I said, on top of that, the way I knew that guy had his stuff together back of the house was his reviews. There was not a single complaint about anything with regards to quality or cleanliness. It was just the personality of the business. And so to answer your question, to me, the number one thing is I always say, the restaurants are meant to make people smile. And when I walk into Better Blend and get a smoothie tonight after my workout, Isaac's team will be like, Matt, what's up? And they got my orange one. They'll joke, where's my orange car? And they they know it. Other restaurants, I walk in, they'll say a damn word. And that's why I go there less often. To me, that's the most important thing is, you know, like the old cheers thing. Was, you know, everybody knows Norm. Like you got to have that in your restaurant. If you have that, food is, in my opinion, food is easy to make good. I'll eat at an average restaurant all day long if everything else is great. I won't eat at an awesome restaurant if everything else sucks. It's a very powerful message and something that I think everybody should think long and hard about, and I completely agree with you. I have to tell you, Matt, I've really enjoyed this conversation, and I could go on and on, but I think the information that you shared with us, for those of you that have restaurants or are about to open one, this would be an episode I would suggest perhaps listening to again and, and taking some notes on. If people want to get in touch with you, Matt, how would they go about finding you? Easy. MattPlapp.com. Matt at MattPlapp is my email. My phone number is 859-743-2408, 859-743-2408. We, we work with restaurants. Uh, I'm an open book. Yeah, we, I'm not going to lie. We sell stuff to restaurants. We have a marketing program that restaurants use nationwide, but at the same time, I give out my cell phone because I'm an open book. You can call me or text me. I'll talk to anybody. We've got 30, I guess, 38 employees as of yesterday. They were the ones in the weeds doing all the hard work. I'm the one that sits at the desk and says crazy stuff. But 
that's my cell phone. I'm open to talk to people. I, I love helping people. I love giving advice. And the restaurant world's awesome. You know, I, I could tell you do a great job just in general communicating because you you were kind enough to give a favorable comment on my podcast. And then I looked you up. And again, just purely out of intellectual curiosity, because I love this business, but I also like to learn and I like to think and I like marketing as well. And we just did this on the spur of the moment, just based on connecting with LinkedIn. And yet I feel that this episode is going to do something, which is what I'm most concerned about, which is create real value for our listeners. So I most certainly appreciate your time, Matt. It was really a pleasure getting to know you and getting to talk to you today. I appreciate the time. I appreciate the podcast, what you do in the business, what your company does for restaurants. You do an amazing job. I follow what you do. I pay attention. My, my team follow you as well. And the questions you asked are, I do a lot of podcasts, a lot of interviews. And that's the one thing I always joke about with my staff is that you can tell the person that's doing the podcast if they have a clue what they're doing or not because of the questions. And I'm always critical of myself. I think I'm a terrible podcaster. I don't think I ask good enough questions. But you, you ask great questions and it, it shows your depth and care for the industry. Well, I really appreciate that, Matt, and look forward to staying in touch. And I'm glad that we connected and I'm glad we did this interview. And uh, just have a great day, Matt, and appreciate your time. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, sir. Well, I really enjoyed that conversation with Matt. I think it was very insightful. And I particularly like the fact that he shared so many actionable strategies that can be utilized right now to enhance engagement with your customers. The level of engagement with our customers is so important on so many levels, most importantly because there's no better advertiser or ambassador for your brand than a happy customer. And the more we can engage and engage in a way that makes them feel good and brings value to them, the better it is for our brand and the better service we do to the community at large. So Really, really enjoyed that conversation. I also really appreciate all of you that have been taking the time to email me or DM me. Really enjoy reading those comments, so please keep them coming. You can email me at steven at wolcofoods.com or you can DM me at wolcofoods. And most importantly, everybody, have an awesome, awesome day. Thank you for listening to The Profitable Table fed by Wolco Foods. Please be sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And to learn more about Woolco Foods or Stephen Toberoff, please visit us at woolcofoods.net. <laughs>